Okay. Is everyone getting a seat? Seems like we've got a couple more stragglers. Please find your seats quickly so that we can get going. We've given a couple of minutes already. I'm um, clearly, I, I knew that even though this was a large venue, we weren't going to struggle getting lots of people into it because clearly it counts for professionalism points too, um, which always helps. Um, I wonder if after our next session, when we move to outcomes-based CPD, we suddenly find CPD sessions um, better attended or less well attended. It'll be a good experiment. Um, this is quite an easy session for me, so lots of um, thanks to those who made it so easy in the sense that um, all I really have to do is to introduce a couple of people and then I can go sit in the audience with the rest of you because we have a, a facilitator for the session who will uh, do it much more justice than I could. So the um, most important job is to introduce the, the esteemed panel sitting over there um, and it's quite nice seeing some of the faces again. So uh, for those who um, don't know them, I'll run through them, but I expect many of you will have seen them before. First is, um, from, from my side, first is Andrew Warren, who's uh, recently joined um, Deloitte again um, as, a, as the director for their actuarial and insurance solutions practice. Um, before that, clearly he had a couple of nice uh, leadership and general management roles in a couple of places, some time with, uh, with NMG and uh, and some time with, uh, with Liberty, and, um, and, and I, I could see that uh, he's clearly now getting back into the love of consulting that he also had when he was working in an actual consulting startup a while ago. So um, very nice seeing um, Andrew again. Then Sandy Govender, uh, the head of uh, group insurance at MMI. Um, she's uh, got quite nice experience in a couple of consulting roles and um, with the uh, with a, a major bank she didn't name, but which I suppose we all know who it is. So um, nice seeing you on stage, Sandy. Um, so that's uh, quite a quite a, a wide variety of experience she's had over over the the bank and its its various operations spanning banking, short term insurance, long term insurance, the the whole spiel. Then uh, Mahesh, who's a director at Alan Gray. So another. Uh, impressive individual with uh, quite solid consulting experience, institutional client servicing, um, trustee among others of Orbis Foundation, so another very impressive actuary. Then the one we who also still have maintained our, um, our international actuarial memberships will have to call boss pretty soon. Um, for those who, who know Marjorie, she's the, the president-elect of the the institute and faculty. So pretty soon we'll, we'll have to call her president. And as she said to me earlier today, she would never in her wildest dreams have thought that she'd share the president of title with Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> so previous roles included uh, a bit on, on Liberty Group Exco and um, where I remember her from the old Mutual Africa operation where she was the CRO and quite a lot of um, desire and exposure to be involved in all sorts of development stuff too, so a um, very useful person always to talk to and listen to. And then Dean Moore, who um, was uh, the only one I, I had to confess, I had to go um, 
properly meet because I wouldn't have been able to pick him out in the crowd before today. So um, nice having you here, Dean. It's very nice always meeting another impressive actuary. So someone that had spent a bit of time with, uh, with Metropolitan already, but um, more recently, uh, product development and then some time overseas. But more recently, he's the, the CEO of uh, Just Retirement, who's a consultancy doing some, some innovative stuff in the, in the retirement space. So very nice having you here too. Then the most important person of them all, because that's the bunch of actuaries, and it's very impressive when a bunch of actuaries is going to be cat herded, as a fellow uh, colleague of mine always says, by a CA. So um, that's uh, Nina Lerisha's role today. Um, she's a partner in Deloitte's um, risk advisory practice. Um, she leads their SA corporate governance practice. She's a very experienced auditor and a very impressive CA. So um, we're going to have the, the, the CA showing the actuaries through their paces for you this afternoon. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Nina. Thank you. I feel a bit like a talk show host, I have to say, like I have to do this. Yeah. Good. So, so the, the, the panel this afternoon, as you've, you've seen in your brochures, is about leadership and experience in leadership, and it's specifically leadership in the, in the actuarial profession or leaders produced by the actuarial profession. So in preparation for today, I, I did, I have to admit, last night only, but did do a little bit of research around this and found some, some interesting articles. And, and, and maybe my first bit of research was with my husband over dinner saying, where does the majority of CEOs come from? In, in his experience, in my experience, a very limited sample, the actuaries will say, but, but let's say that all true. And I think we concluded that possibly most board uh, um, executive positions at, at this point in time goes to a combination of CAs and engineers. And then, then some, um, some marketing professionals, with, like just running through a few companies, quite a few marketing professionals, recently being appointed to CEO positions. But, but for the, the skill and the, um, the cognitive ability in the actuarial um, profession, it possibly not prominent enough. And, and, and then I, after dinner, decided, okay, let's Google a little bit. And one of the first things when I Googled actuary and leadership that came up was the concept of the math ceiling which is not something I have to say I've, I've heard before, but, but an interesting concept. As, as a woman, I'm used to the glass ceiling, but, but math ceiling is new to me. And I started reading that article that focused a lot on our experiences and how we, how, what leadership is about, that it is um, intellectual and cognitive or in, intellectual for 20% and 80% and other stuff. And that other stuff includes having to ask for help and understanding your weaknesses and all of those things. And, and the, the article goes through all of those concepts and, and very eloquently lay out what, what the, the actuarial response to that is. But, but I'm the facilitator, so I'm going to use my knowledge of the article and, and ask a few questions of our very esteemed panel. And I'm going to start by asking each of them to give us three minutes just of, of how they experience leadership. And, and I know each of them has a, has a, a topic to introduce through, the lead, uh, through their, their, their session as well. So I'm going to start with Andrew, your views on, on leadership in the actuarial profession and, and your experience um, to date. Yeah, so, so thanks, Nina, and, and thanks, guys. So I'll start it off with, I suppose, the sort of topic of the conversation, which is, which is actuarial, so the actual background in leadership. And 
does the actual training actually equip people naturally to be leaders? So I reflected on my, my journey and, and, and had a look at, at that and some of the, the paths I've taken which, which people have said are non-traditional. And in essence, I think the pure technical training doesn't really give us the license to be leaders. But from my experience, what it did give us was, what definitely gave me and some of my, 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 my colleagues when I entered um, into, into the industry, was an accelerated path because of the potential that our employers saw in us. And so we were put on accelerated development programs. We were given access to much more senior people than I think other people who joined the industry, other people who would be starting out work got. And it was that level of exposure to people in leadership positions uh, from whom we could learn um, an accelerated process of the non-technical training that was then given to us. And then, I suppose, from my perspective, putting up my hand at different times to take slightly different roles or, or slightly different opportunities. And, and I think then, once again, being lucky enough in those opportunities to be involved with what, I mean, people who I respect as really amazing leaders outside of the actual profession um, and being able to then recognize that the actual skill set, the cognitive abilities in an insurance company get you very far, very fast, but it's being exposed to others and, and picking up other skills and traits um, from people around you that puts you in a position to be able to, to take your career that step further. Okay. Sandy? Uh, so I think from my perspective, um, leadership is a journey without an end state, and I think as human beings, you're always evolving as people, so I'm going to share with you my views from the leadership experiences. I think um, the fact that I've been chosen on this to be on this panel doesn't mean I'm a perfect leader. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's a continuous journey. So for me, um, the one example was um, when I joined a new environment, there were about 100, just over 100 people in my downline. And, you know, there were quite a few business issues that we needed to tackle. And being a typical problem solver, I went head into the problem solving mode and, and tried to solve the business issues. And the one day I heard a comment being made um, that staff think I'm very aloof. And I tend to be a person who actually prides myself on being a good human being, and I actually took that very personally. So for me, it was, it was a huge blow to the system, and I took a step back and I was like, typical actually, how can I fix this? Um, so I then started having individual and group coffee sessions with staff, um, and what was really interesting was they actually got to know me better as a person, so they didn't see a job title anymore, they saw a human being on the other side. I got to know them better as people, and I got to share some of the business issues with them. And you get the knowledge of all of these people across the room with years of experience, it's been in the environment for quite a long time, sharing their views on how they think we can improve things, and actually what I ended up was actually better... Uh, delivery of the strategy that I wanted to deliver, better solutions, but at the same time, I actually had the staff as change agents. So they were creating positive energy on the floor, trying to help drive the change so that I didn't have to use all of my energy to actually drive the change um, from that perspective. The other key learning for me was, um, this is an interesting comment, I'm going to wake, don't judge me by it, but I, I believe that actuaries tend to have a perception that people of non-actual professions do not necessarily add the same value that they add. And I've learned that you know, people from like the marketing profession or HR and OD can actually add so much of value to us as leaders and as um, just from an operational perspective. So I think the two parts that I'd like to touch on, the one is um, HR and OD. 
So I think it's, it's quite important. There's a cliché saying, you know, people are the most important assets in a company. And the harsh reality is it is the truth. You can sit in a boardroom and come up with any strategy in the world, but it's the people on the ground that actually have to deliver on that strategy. And, you know, uh, building good relationships with staff, sharing your thoughts with them before you implement it, getting their feedback on that, helping them drive the change is quite important for me. And the second part is, you know, change, everyone experiences change differently. Some people are like, okay, great, let's get going. And others take a week or two to actually, to, to actually experience a change and understand the positiveness of it. So sometimes it's actually understanding that all human beings are not born equal. So you need to take them on the journey with you and they have different time horizons for change. Um, and then the last part was marketing. For me, you know, marketing is quite an important part in, in an organization because the one thing I've learned is, you know, we actuaries tend to be quite affluent. Living in Ivory Tower in Santon, do we really know what the day in the life of a customer is in the Northern Cape? And marketing, the marketing people have helped me to actually say, actually, we need to understand what the day of, in the life of the customer is in the Northern Cape. Take the actual needs and experience how you're going to collect premiums from them, how you're going to pay benefits, et cetera, and bring that back into uh, product development, et cetera. And the second part is how do you actually package the solutions? So it's something that clients understand. And it's in simple English and a, and a language that they can understand. But it's more so important in an insurance environment where they don't really understand the need. And this is where marketing people can actually help you understand how you take your product to the client uh, and linking back the need component. So that's Thanks, Sandy. I, th I think what I particularly like about that is it, it speaks very much to the concept in the, the article I refer to that says that the you don't have to do it yourself. That, that thing of, I'll go in and I'll fix it, because I can. The, 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 um, the reference there is, because of, of the ability, school comes reasonably easy, university comes reasonably easy, getting your first job comes reasonably easy, and you're not used to helping people, asking people to help. And, and this understanding that HR and marketing and other people brings other angles, I think is, is very valuable in that. In, 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 in the learning process towards a leader. Mahesh, your views. So it's interesting listening to my, my fellow panelists here. And uh, as someone who spent their life outside of the traditional actuarial world, um, saying that you're an actuary or you have an actuarial qualification doesn't get you much. You, you, you're pretty much on the back foot to start off, or you, you're starting in the same space as everyone else. So your, your experiences tend to be quite different um, where it's not something that gives you an edge over someone else in, 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 in the business that you work for. But I, I think for me, uh, leadership is very much around a personal journey. Um, uh, there, there are lots of books out there, there are lots of styles, there, there, there are lots of great leaders, but what you start to realize is that there isn't a, a case of one size fits all. Um, there isn't a single theory of leadership. Uh, and, and I think our job as leaders is to try and get as many data points as possible um, so that we can formulate what our own theory of leadership is uh, and, and also realizing that there's no end point to it. You never, you never know everything, um, and you're always on this developmental journey. Uh, the, the one thing that I find quite interesting is that, uh, as individuals, uh, leadership is a puzzle about ourselves that we're trying to continuously solve. So you're trying to find out how you do things, what makes you tick, and how do you relate to, to other people. And, and, and that's often framed by your own personal circumstances, your own experiences, your own values. 
And so you can have two individuals that have the same degree, that work in the same organization, that go to the same business school, but have very different leadership styles. And, and I think that's important because you have to be true to yourself at the end of the day. To try and use a, a, a type of leadership that, that is against your grain only does damage to you and the people who, you, who you're trying to lead. And, and maybe the last point I'd like to make is that uh, managing people is hard. Um, I think, I think there's, people think there's, there's glamour to it, but if you take it seriously, having the responsibility of a group of individuals uh, that, that you are there to, to look after them from a developmental perspective, from a remuneration perspective, from a growth perspective, uh, if you take it seriously, that, that's a lot of pressure that you, you, you have to bear. And I think if you don't feel that pressure, then you're probably not doing something right. Good. Thanks. Maybe what I take from there, and I have to make a little joke here, the, I don't think the average lawyer or marketing professional will describe leaderships collecting as many data points as you can. But, that, but I understand what you mean by that. Um, thank you very much, Mahaduri, if you take it. Thanks, Nina. So my career direction has actually been guided by what I believe is my purpose, and that's to be additive, to be curious, and to be fulfilled. And that plays out in a number of ways for me. So sharing knowledge is important. I've done a lot of teaching, and I find that extremely fulfilling. I'm typically to be found on different parts of the globe, so exploring the continents um, is something that's meaningful to me, and I've been lucky to do that through work and my professional activities. And then to give and to have joy, so family and friends, very important um, in my life. So one might assume that I've arrived where I am because I designed it that way. And that's not to say that I'm not a deliberate person, but actually it's because I've allowed myself to consider opportunities that might seem a little bit freaky, like taking two jobs, potentially. <laughs> and um, so I've applied myself to the things that fulfill me, and that's, that would be my encouragement to others. If I could think about the five things that have worked for me, they would be, firstly, reframing. I think it was uh, Henry Ford that said, failure is the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. And essentially, in every disappointment that my life has uh, found itself, and I've looked to the lesson in it as the beacon. Secondly, being true to yourself. So I've taken and left jobs on the basis of my values, and that's not always easy to do and not an easy conversation to have. So I suppose asking yourself what your drivers are and, and what's meaningful to you is, is also useful. Social capital, for me, goes a long way, and I find myself being a natural networker. I enjoy the energy that people bring, and I've never done it with an agenda, and I find that the, the reciprocity thing just tends to follow naturally. Service has been a very important aspect of my life, so I've spent um, the last 10 years or so volunteering for the Institute and faculty in particular, and it has brought me a lot of joy and learning um, through others. It, was, it has been incredible, it continues to be incredible, and again, I didn't do it for gain. Um, I was surprised and delighted to be nominated by my fellow council members for president and even more delighted to win the election. And so I don't think it happened by accident. I think my colleagues recognized that they might want to support me, but certainly it wasn't my agenda uh, when I started to volunteer. And lastly, the important thing for me as a leader is to constantly step back and take stock and recharge and reset. And something that I 
like to do is to use my catchphrase at least five times a day, and that is awesomeness. <laughs> it means a great deal. I like awesomeness. And, 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 and the comments of being true to yourself, that it, it brings through whatever you read about leadership, that, that authenticity remains very important. And I, I just want to, for a moment, go back to Maisha's comment around managing people are hard. And, and I, I think we, we all know that. Everybody that's had even one person, even just managing personal people, <laughs> like at home is, is quite hard, to be honest. So I, 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 like I'm not even, you don't even need work experience to experience this. But I, 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 I do think there, the, from what I've seen and my experiences at Deloitte, I, I actually think managing people is a very strong skill of actuaries, that, that the absolute care and attention to detail is it, far um, supersede what, what I see in, in other practices but because I think it is pro because you understand the journey and how tough it is. Good. Dean, I'm going to hand over to you for the last opening remark. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah, I was asked to talk about my um, experience in um, leading a startup. And I think went from, from being great, I think the greatest excitement in, in leading a startup is when you first open the door to a completely empty office um, that's got uh, nothing there at all um, and opening up a laptop where there's nothing in your inbox. Um, <laughs> that's, that excitement wears off slightly when you then think no matter what question lands in this office today, um, one of the three of us that's sitting here has to answer it whether that be what our HR policy is going to be, what the latest SAM regulation is going to do, um, um, because this is, this is a life company, so all of, the, all of the corporate governance that exists in a company of 5,000 people now has to exist between the three of us. Um, and it probably really wears off when you go home in the evening and you realize you're washing your own coffee cup. That's, <laughs> that's probably the moment of reality. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I think, and then being in financial services where um, you, you're chipping away, um, the, there's a big halo effect about big brands. So, so if you come into the space um, and, and your brand isn't known in the country um, and financial services moves at the speed of sloth probably. Um, so it um, takes quite a while to, um, to, to see things change. Um, <clears throat> Lots of excitements though, it's great to have no legacy computer systems, um, so <laughs> actuaries will appreciate that. <laughs> um, I think probably one of the biggest learnings around a, a startup is um, we, we're not in business to avoid risk because um, if you had to look at your full set of risks and say how do I avoid all of those risks then you you have nothing to do anymore, really. So, so we're in the business to manage risk and, um, and knowing which risks to take and manage and, and getting that risk appetite really well um, sorted out is, is very important. Um, have a lawyer. So none of the three of us were lawyers. We, we soon found out we needed one. <laughs> Not generally in the, the actuarial skill set. Um, and probably tight project management was the other thing that was that was key to us. Um, 
otherwise if, if you haven't really got an agenda and you're working towards a goal then then you, you can feel a bit lost um, the, the interesting thing then is, is culture because now you you've got a blank sheet of paper and how do you how do you build um, an office culture or human resources culture so so the the subject that we spend least time on in our actuarial studies is human resources, which a few other people have referred to here. Um, I particularly like the work of, of Patrick Lencioni in this space, um, and, and his whole model is that if you build a culture on, on trust, then, then you actually welcome conflict in your organization, because the conflict doesn't descend into politics. Um, you, you can have the issue, everybody says what they want to say, and then you can really commit going forward and, and hold each other accountable. So, so when we had to draw up our HR policy, <clears throat> we thought, coming out of the big corporate world, um, slightly disparagingly, we, we think that big corporates incentivize mediocrity, and we, we didn't want to be in that space, because it's really difficult to have a performance appraisal system where if, if you're brilliant, you get one notch higher, and if you happen to arrive at work, you, you're sort of one notch below that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we wanted something that was very different to that. Um, and, and I think just, um, it's great to have that theory. We found out as we go along, um, it's one thing to say, let's, let's all just welcome conflict. We're not going to ask anybody to change when they come in. Um, it's, it's quite difficult. The, the only thing that messes that up is when you actually drop a human being into that theoretical model. Um, <laughs> because every human being comes with, with a lifetime of issues, um, and, and those little <laughs> conflicts that arise um, trigger points in, in everyone. But um, yeah, really exciting journey and a, and a roller coaster. And, and I echo what everybody else has said. It's 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 all around it's all around people and how do you how do you get them? Um, not how do you get the maximum out of people, but I think picking up on what Marjorie said, how do you um, get the people around you to experience fulfilment in their in their work environment? Good. Thanks, Steve. So, so now that we've had quite a few comments around people, I, I want to go back to Andrew and ask around the... So, so to, be, to be a leader um, in your... Well, one can be a leader in your profession, but to be a, a corporate leader outside that, that professional um, group of people, you obviously have to manage people outside the actual profession as well. So, so your experience of the difference between managing business in general, people in business as general, and managing actuaries. So, yeah, so I used to think that, that managing actuaries was difficult, and, and then I managed a marketing department. Okay. <laughs> um, and and so, so I think managing actuaries, it's a challenging environment, but it's an environment that by being an actuary, you know the point of departure that you're dealing with. So you know, to some degree, the kind of training that everyone's been through, you've got a good sense of the the way people think and the way people will respond to challenges and, and opportunities that exist. And in that way, it's, in, it's, it's slightly easier to then guide them because the teams that, that the actual teams that I've had would generally, and I think it's, it's indicative of, of almost everyone here, are self-motivated problem solvers, that you give them the problem, you point them in, in the direction, and you know that they are, they are fulfilled by finding the solution. 
um, and they find satisfaction in, in, in that from, from, a, from a solution perspective. Moving into an environment where you've got people who you don't really know what their background is, there's a lot, a lot more hard work to be done in actually finding out what makes them tick, realizing that their, their motivations, their drivers, what, what gets them out of bed is very different, and you have to then try and respond to those emotional, emotional buttons that they need um, to, 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 be, um, to be fulfilled. Um, and that then becomes a, a, a quite, a, a quite a difficult task, but a very satisfying task, because you're outside your comfort zone. You can't just use logic to try and win the argument. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday, A implies B implies C, does not mean to everyone that A implies C. Um, and for actually, that's quite a difficult thing to do when you're under pressure and you're trying to lead someone through change, um, as, as was mentioned earlier. So there's, there, there is a big step to take, to, to take a step back from the technical training and being what I call an actuarial leader to, to, to a space where you're dealing with people whose motivations are very different. You then got to look for your own motivations outside of, outside of logic necessarily and start, you know, start probing. And I just start probing quite seriously about how I responded to the different emotional stimuli that were around the table um, and make sure that they were positive responses and, and that I was opening up to, to other people's ways of thinking and feeling um, to create an effective team. Thanks for that. Andrew, then, then I'm going to skip back to Marjorie and ask, like, was there any specific turning points in your career or very specific enablers that, that projected you into a, a leadership position? So there have probably been a combination of things. Um, my parents, who probably provided the foundation around being focused and um, striving for more, uh, would probably be responsible for my determination. It's um, a good thing, I think. So they um, allowed me opportunities, educational opportunities that exposed me broadly, and I think that that foundation is certainly valuable. And then I've had very supportive people in my professional life, so employers who've been extremely open-minded about juggling work and volunteering responsibilities. Uh, my boss is a rock star, and Liberty is an extremely enlightened company uh, to allow me to do what I'm doing currently. And I've had many of those in my career, so they're to be applauded as well. And then having supportive circles, so not just friends and family, but also people who are role models, who've lent me their time to pick their brains and understand the challenges they faced and how I might potentially learn from them. So people that give back um, to allowing other people to grow as they have. Yeah, I, I like the reference to, and you, you made the reference earlier to social capital and, and, and that filling up of the goodwill bucket so that when you need it, you can, you can draw off that. From there, back to Sandy. And, and it, maybe um, advice you would give young new actuaries in, in terms of their career um, for the, like, to aspire to leadership. Yeah, I think for me, it's just being open-minded. Um, and what I mean by that is being open-minded to be challenged. I think it's actually, you tend to always be clever. So when you're in primary school and high school, you're always you know, coming out first in class and getting straight A's and whatever. So you're not used to being challenged or feeling that your answer's wrong. So what I've noticed in the actual profession is a lot of people, if somebody challenges their view, they see it as I'm wrong, instead of saying actually it's a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's actually taking it completely differently as a different perspective versus me being wrong and actually asking themselves what they can do with that. The other part to it is as well is self-awareness. I think that um, 
actuaries need to be a lot more aware of their weaknesses, for lack of a better word, um, and be willing to take criticism well. Because criticism to me, and I said this to all of my uh, previous bosses, is it's, it's actually for me, as long as it's constructive, it's actually an opportunity for me to grow and develop as a person. So I think instead of seeing it in negative light, when someone gives you criticism, take it away and say, okay, is this true or isn't it? So that's where the awareness part comes in. And what can I do about it to actually evolve as a person and as a leader? And I think you've made a point just now, because actually leadership, your leadership journey and growth actually um, goes into your personal life as well. So it actually flows very nicely into your personal life. So it's actually your personal growth journey more than it is a leadership journey for me. So I think um, that would be my advice. Good. Thanks for that. Then um, Mahesh, next victim. Let's see. <laughs> Are you, um, the, the role of mentors and sponsors, do you have an opinion on that, on, on this leadership journey? It's probably not the consensus view. Okay. Well, well give us your view, then yeah, I'll so with I'm, I'm not convinced on the, the mentorship um, model. Um, and, and, it's, and, and the reason I say that is because I th I, the, my view is that if you are leading a team, part of your responsibility is mentoring that team. And a mentorship model often sits where a mentor sits outside of that environment. Now, some people might argue and say, well, doesn't that give a different perspective? And possibly, but also it possibly allows a manager to absolve themselves of a duty of a, of a manager. So my view, and, and it's, I know it's not widely shared, but I'm of the view that that role and responsibility rests with the manager. It's the job of the manager to not only ensure the, the development side of the individual, but also the, the mentorship side. Um, and that if you, not to say that um, I'd stop someone seeking external mentorship by, by all means, but I would see that as one of my duties um, as a leader. I like that. Dean, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I think if, if I look at um, working with a senior team, I, I've... Um, I was myself introduced to coaching um, and went into it fairly skeptically, probably, initially, um, and then found that I got a lot out of that, actually, because um, um, I think Mahesh was saying earlier, but just the, the, the burden of responsibility that you feel, um, especially if you've brought a group of people in and you've taken them out of somewhere else, you feel responsible for those people that you're leading. Um, and having somebody outside of the office environment where ultimately you're the decision maker, I, I found extremely helpful to be able to just say this is what's happening and get that person to ask me questions. And the coach has never said this is what you should do, but it's just ask questions to, to help you reflect. And I think our lives are so busy, we, we, are, we don't really get the chance to step back and reflect unless somebody pushes things back to us. Um, so I'm certainly encouraging our leadership team to have external coaching where, where they can actually just talk um, outside of that environment. I, I think the other thing is, as leaders, the, the thing that I've become much more aware of is that um, every slight nuanced feeling that you project is magnified in the receiver. <laughs> So um, 
so, so it's not good as a leader to have a bad day or a slightly bad day, and actuaries are generally not all that expressive. But, um, but I think as actuaries, we have to be more expressive on the, on the um, exuberant side um, because that probably takes us to a notch below where some of the marketing people might be. <laughs> <laughs> good. So, so then I think we have five minutes left of the, of the formal time. I'm going to open up to the room for questions in a moment, but I want one last question to, to the panel, and that is just a quick synopsis of, the, of the, mo the biggest challenge you are facing as a leader today in this environment with this generation, with this position that you hold at the moment. Can we start with you, Andrew? Okay. So... So I had to think about it quickly. I'd say that the general, I suppose the general uncertainty globally and locally is putting a lot of uncertainty in everyone's minds. And as a, as a leader, part of your role is to bring the best out of everybody. Um, and if you're feeling that level of, of nervousness and pessimism, it's incredibly difficult um, to bring that out. So. And even in the last year, so then my role is relatively new at the moment, but in the last year, trying to make sure that my um, my sense and, and feelings around what's going on around around the world and around South Africa doesn't come out, or I don't. Um, I make sure I balance that with the sense of optimism that brings the best out of people, and that's a very challenging time because it's it, for me personally, it's incredibly draining, um, and and it, it requires a lot of effort and, and energy to do, and it's, it's hard to do. Sandy, I think from my perspective, um, the biggest challenge that I face is, face is that I'm an introvert. So, you know, when you walk into the poorest area along the corridor and you see people, you actually need to make the effort to talk to people and always have an open door policy. And uh, there's some days I just want to hide in my corner <laughs> and get my work done. So I think that's, that's something that's I have to continuously make an effort to step outside of my comfort zone and just be available to staff and just, yeah, that's my biggest challenge at the moment. But, and that is very tiring. But, um, <laughs> Mahesh? Um, maybe if I could possibly just answer it from more uh, a broader perspective. I think, um, uh, and, and I'd, I'd probably say it's true for a lot of uh, a lot of business in South Africa. It's the issue on transformation. Um, I think we 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 haven't solved it. We're not anywhere close to solving it. It's a real issue, and um, we have to solve it to move move forward as a country. Uh. Yeah. Thanks, Neela. So probably a take on Mahesh's comment. Um, I'll speak from my two professional perspectives. So working in South Africa, my biggest enlightenment is being brown but not brown enough as a non-South African. Um, and that for me is a very interesting dynamic. And so, so being a certain demographic or from a certain background comes with its perceptions and its assumptions. And clearly, I'm not quite what people expect when they see my name. Um, <laughs> on the um, institute and faculty side, I think. Um, uh, okay, Tash. <laughs> on the institute and faculty side, it's more about um, the perception that comes with age. And in the 158 years of the of the Institute's existence, I don't think there has been a president my age, which I shan't disclose. But <laughs> there is something about um, people presuming that apparently you're wise because of your years, and 
it's an interesting uh, dynamic to play with. Thank you. Dean? Um, I, I think, um, just taking it into a microcosm again, I, I think probably the biggest challenge that I grapple with just in the workplace is how do you um, encourage people and, and create a standard that you expect of the people to deliver um, whilst at the same time stepping back and allowing people to make their own mistakes in getting to that place. Um, and I, I think there's a, there's a small element of perfectionism in most actories, <laughs> got to where they are, um, and to actually be able to step back and allow people some headroom. Um, if I ever get anywhere near to getting that right, I'll, I'll do a paper on it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'll read that paper. Good. So, so we can open up for questions now. As you've heard, we've got a diverse panel here um, from from like entrepreneurial, banking, insurance, statutory, actuary, risk management, investment management. We, we have it all. So, so like any questions for the audience up there? for the panel. Yeah. Hi, um, all right, so, so my presence um, in this session is a bit ironic. Uh, two questions, actually. The first thing is, um, I get the sense that you know we want to be leaders, but um, do you necessarily think we should all aspire to be that? Can you sort of give the upshot of not being a leader? And the second question I want to ask Marjorie is, she used the phrase on my agenda. I was wondering, is that a common phrase? Because there's an article in the, a feature in the actuary called on my agenda. So I was wondering how common that expression is. Who's taking the first question? Around, okay, so, so I, I want to paraphrase, and please tell me if I'm wrong, that, that what is the upside of not being a leader? Or you want the upside of being a leader? Uh, upside of not being a leader. Because like, I got the sense, um, there wasn't that much enthusiasm about being a leader. Because there's so many problems. <laughs> <laughs> so many problems, and some of them, you're sitting from where we're sitting and you're thinking, why would I want to go through that? This is an actuarial conference, I remind you, but let's give it to, where should we start? Let's start with Dean. Lots of enthusiasm. Why you want to be <laughs> so, so, um, so I understood the question to be, what, what's, um, what, what's the benefits of not being a leader? Or, or, um, in that, why should you think, want to be a leader? Oh, why should you want to be a leader? Okay. Um, so I, I was going to answer the other question that I thought you asked, <laughs> so that every, every leader needs a good um, follower. Um, so so there's, <laughs> there's lots of benefits to, <laughs> to, to not being a leader. Um, I, I, think it's, um, um, I think reporting to somebody is overrated, probably. <laughs> it's, it's probably the biggest, um, the, the biggest <laughs> thing that I would say. So yeah, so it comes with challenges, it comes with responsibilities. I mean, and it really comes down to, to personal, if, if you were in that lifeboat and you said, I can't see land, but it's in one direction, would you prefer to take somebody else's lead for which direction you're going in, or would you like to say, I, I think you're paddling that way? 
Just but don't, and don't jump in there as well. I think the the it, it really does come to understand his point around around personal growth and and what you're wanting to achieve. So part of the um, the, the benefit or the pleasure of being a leader has been watching the people that I've worked with develop and giving them giving them the necessary guidance, support, and direction as a leader to get them there. And then the same with the businesses that I've been involved with. To be able to take the, the canvas that you've got as a leader and, and craft a direction and see the direction um, sort of start to emerge. It's not necessarily for everyone, but I think the, the thing is to make sure that if you're going down that path to know what you're going to get from it, because it is hard work. Um, you know, I ended up with a, with a dinner club called It's Lonely at the Top, because you know, sometimes you need other guys to talk to, and you can't talk to people in your own organization about some of the challenges. But in essence, once you get it right and you start seeing guys um, develop and start seeing the potential that you saw in people come through, it's a really, really satisfying thing to see and experience. So in my view, leadership's not necessarily about having a title or being in a corporate setting or context. Um, leadership can take many forms, informally too. If you've ever been told by a four-year-old, as I have, that sharing is caring, <laughs> that's showing leadership too. Um, to the other question, it's just a turn of phrase. On my agenda is just a set of words I happen to use, nothing to do with the Actuary magazine. Good. You'd learn with a four-year-old very quickly that sharing is only sometimes scary. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on who's got what. But in any case, another question over there. All right, uh, Peter Carswell from Nedbank Insurance. Um, you guys have talked about a number of things that have made you successful. Uh, Mahesh gave us something where he has a view contrary to popular wisdom, if I can call it that. Do you guys have any views on things which a lot of people believe, but in your opinion just isn't so? So what are some of the mistakes that you think people could be making? I'm hoping that you can explain those so we can not make them ourselves. I'll start. So I will say that in my job, um, helping to drive strategy execution, simply saying what that means and assuming that everyone understands what it means is possibly the biggest failure of corporations um, when they want to execute. And I think I am learning a lot about um, change management and about contextualizing information messages and making them relevant to all um, stakeholders because I think there's an assumption that everyone speaks your language mm. and everyone interprets what you believe is so plain and simple and when there's no traction you're wondering why it's not happening simply because they haven't understood. So my biggest lesson is about cascading messages in a relevant way for different groups of people. Thanks, Mesh. Um, so uh, for me, I think it's, uh, it's, it's something less obvious and, and it's around the fact that people often emulate their leaders. Um, they follow, they mimic. Um, and people don't often realize that it, both ways. And, and so often from a, a leadership perspective, people behave in a certain way and they, they think it's an exception and they're only doing it under certain circumstance, not realizing that people have watched, seen, observed, and will follow. Okay, so th there's that aspect to it and, and you have to be very careful 
um, around that because something, sometimes, something, some, sometimes something said in a moment um, can be put out of context um, for, for, for people. So you, not to say that you, you shouldn't be open and honest, but you, you have to realize there's a, there's a place for, for things. And then on the flip side of that is, is uh, people often don't realize the fact that they're emulating their leaders. And, and so as an individual who looks up to someone or, or some, there's someone who is in a leadership role above you, you shouldn't always just be accepting their methodologies or the way they do things or the way they approach things. You should also be uh, inquisitive um, and asking and probing. And uh, so not just in terms of trying to find your own way, but also that provides the leadership with a challenge, with, with a sounding board, with a uh, with an alternate view, um, and I think that the risk is that everyone. So there's a saying that if if everyone's thinking the same thing, then then no one's thinking, um, and and that's concerning because if you're sitting in a meeting and everyone's agreeing, then you probably missed something. So I, I think there's something in there about uh, about emulating from a leadership perspective, but also from people um, who are following their leader. Sandy, you yeah, want if to I can just add to that, I think for me, this might sound like it's contradicting what I said earlier about being a nice person. I think the part that I've noticed in corporates um, all over is that people don't like making tough decisions and holding people accountable because they're seen as not, because they, they, they don't want to be disliked. So if they hold people accountable or they make tough decisions and people are going to not like them, but sometimes, you know, there's other staff that could see this behavior where you're not holding people accountable and they're actually not going to look up to you as a leader. And you actually might be doing a disservice to the staff, the business, and shareholders, and actually this is the business suffers at the end of the day. So sometimes I think one of the flaws that leaders make without realizing it is actually not making tough calls and making tough decisions. Yeah. Same thing. Very true. Good. Any other questions over there? Hi, this is Ryan Boyd from Deloitte. Firstly, Nina, I think you missed your calling. You are quite a good talk show host. <laughs> uh, thank you, panel. I've really found this talk very interesting. Um, and I think it's a topic that we should be talking more about um, in future con conventions and in many other forums as well. Um, I have two questions. Um, one, or one basically a comment relating to a question, but Currently, it seems that the actuarial title does not hold much weight in a business sense of being a natural leader. Do you feel that the, actual profession, the actuarial profession would or should implement maybe an ST on leadership or maybe additional... <laughs> so I don't want to add more exams to the many exams we have. <laughs> but maybe even perhaps more types of courses that we could be doing to enhance our leadership. And then secondly, um, I wanted to ask, do you feel that there, are, there is a good opportunity or at least encouragement that actually should do an MBA after qualifying? So none of the other professions have a leadership module. It, 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 it's not something that you can necessarily be taught in a, in, in a, in a school. Or, um, and, and so I think it's, it's about working out what uh, what works for you. There was a comment earlier, there are a lot of people who are quite happily being technical specialists um, and being really good at the, the technical side of it and that, that suits them. Um, I think it's about it's about you and what works for you and, and part of the journey is figuring out what works for you. And unfortunately no one can tell you what that is. That's something that you're going to have to find out on yourself, by yourself. 
But yeah, you know, so I think think looking at the term leadership, and what we forget is that there are other aspects which include things like thought leadership. And, and thought leadership is trying to influence someone about what is potentially quite a difficult topic or a controversial thought. Um, and the the ability to bring a group of people who've got a different view to yours, or or you're trying to influence them to move in a different direction, can can easily be illustrated, or can needs to be illustrated within a thought leadership framework. Um, and so. The cognitive abilities that we've got as actuaries in terms of our training and our ability to, to, to be logicians can be extended into people leadership, business leadership, thought leadership, the various aspects that, that you as an individual then can choose as to where you want to go. Um, but I think it's really important that you find people that you can discuss this with to say, well, you know, what are your experiences and what's been difficult and what's been easy, and then try and frame it for yourself and say, well, I think I get excited by that. That's what I get joy in doing. And I will, I will pursue that activity. Um, but it it's really is a personal journey. It, it's not something that a profession can, can try and wrap, I don't think. Like as a, as a non-actuary, can I have a quick response to that? I, I also think, and, and, and earlier on, like I, I do governance, there's a big drive to separate data from information technology. And the separation of data and getting value out of data is becoming prominent in all industries, not only as prominent, like traditionally in, in, in financial services. So I do think as actuaries wander into the non-traditional actuarial fields and industries, I think we're going to see a lot of leaders emerging from, from that exposure. And I hope so. So there was a second part of the question around mm -hmm. MBAs. I certainly support um, anyone who wants to broaden their knowledge and exposure and frames of thinking. So I, for reasons I won't explain here, didn't do an undergraduate degree and a few years ago decided to do a master's program in leadership and strategy and found it incredibly enriching, um, definitely enhancing the technical knowledge that I'd gathered. Thanks, Marjorie. Anything else? I think there's time for one more question. Hello, my name is Gary Pulser. Um, one of my favorite quotes is that good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. Um, would you like to share one of your best lessons that you've learned the hard way? Sure. Thanks, Gary. I'll go first. <laughs> Long silence. Just, just before we started this panel, they said I should ask the one who looks the most terrified first when there's a difficult question. But I'll go to Marjorie. She doesn't look so terrified. Um, Gary may well know this lesson because I learned it um, at All Mutual. And it is the need to socialize controversial material before debating it in open forum you can arrive at very, very different conclusions. I had a deeply unpleasant experience where I aired some views, uh, founded views, which were not popular, and the environment wasn't right for that discussion, and I'd not done enough socialization of what I intended to say and the conclusions I was going to arrive at before then. Um, Let's just say that I needed a bit of A&E care from the imaginary bullets that flew that day. Um, and I certainly learned from the experience, and it's not something I've done since. Thanks, Marjorie. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, so uh, as actuaries, we use assumptions a lot. 
and, and that's probably one of the, uh, the, the biggest lessons, is assuming that everyone's on the same page. Um, and, and, and I think we automatically jump to points and assume that people have followed that journey with you. Um, I think sometimes, and for me, one of my big learnings was sometimes you just need to slow down and ask, does everyone get it? Do we need to go through this again? Um, and so that a team can move together as opposed to just assuming that people have come with you on a, on, on, on a particular journey. So uh, you can never over-communicate. You can never over-ask uh, questions or, or have discussions. Um, and that I, my learning from that is that bears multiples in dividends later on uh, in terms of uh, time spent trying to recalibrate or get everyone when they've moved in a different direction. I think I'd probably add to that that, um, that email is perhaps not the most personal um, <laughs> form of communication, um, especially if you're feeling a little more tense about the subject matter that you're tapping <laughs> <away. laughs> And um, probably emails when you're tense after 10 o'clock at night is, is probably not a good idea. It's probably good to save them in draft, I think. <laughs> I think we've all had that <laughs> Good. So, so I think that brings us to the, the, the end of today's session. Thank you very much for your participation. Thank you to the panel. Really insightful views there. And, and maybe just to wrap up, I think there are exciting times ahead with, with data being more prominent um, in, in, in many spheres. And I'd, I really hope that, that those of you that aspire to leadership, which I, I, I understand is not, is not all of them, will, will take some of these valuable lessons that the panel share and, and work with that to fulfill those positions. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nina. Um, we now have 10 minutes transfer time, but seeing that the transfer for all of you should be to this venue, it kind of means you've got 10 minutes free time. Please don't all rush out and become a a problem for when the next session needs to start because I can see we can we can hit that problem. So those who need a, a break quickly take it, but the next session is in the same venue. <laughs>